Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, December 6th. We begin with a look at the impact anti-vax protests are having on our healthcare workers at Alberta hospitals. We discuss with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, who recently penned an article on the topic. Next, we look at the issue of protectionism when it comes to certain industries in the U.S. and what we can do as a nation to level the playing field and stay competitive. We discuss with a political scientist from McMaster University. Last week, the House of Commons agreed to pass legislation which bans the practice of conversion therapy in Canada. We speak with Ben Rogers, a survivor of conversion therapy, who shares his personal story and his thoughts on the importance of the announcement. And finally, it's another edition of Motivational Monday. This time out, we get some advice on getting an early start to your fitness resolutions for 2022 with Travis McTeer, the Director of Research and Analytics with Good Life Fitness. Anti-vax protesters can be more than just a nuisance for patients trying to make their way into a hospital for a scheduled surgery or for an emergency. They have a negative impact, a serious impact on healthcare workers simply trying to do their jobs. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, joins us this morning. He has penned an article on the topic which also asks the questions, why are they so angry with the medical profession? And Dr. J joins us now. Hi, Dr. J. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. So what prompted you to write the article then? Well, I guess uh, I read an article about um, the kids getting vaccinated, and there's groups now who are trying to stand in the way of parents, grandparents, and kids getting their vaccines, and literally not just sort of giving a, a protest, but literally you know, screaming at them, telling them they're trying to murder their children or Ugh. using... You know, euthanasia, like crazy terms or genocide, like terms that are so completely inappropriate. And this sort of got my blood boiling a little bit. Um, I mean, people are just trying to do what is right, trying to do their job. And like, if you have a protest, I think everyone, you know, we live in a free country Mm -hmm. and everyone has the right to have an opinion and to express that opinion. And I think that's healthy. Uh, but I think there are places to do it in places that are completely inappropriate. And I think somebody has to stand up and say that. You know, yeah, you you say that they should happen and we have that opportunity. But where, where, where I'm just devil's advocate here, where would be the best place for a protest then? Where, where do you think? Well, I think there are public places like, you know, like, say, in Calgary, the, the um, Olympic Plaza mm-hmm. or someplace like that downtown. If you want to uh, march around or have placards or honk your horn or do whatever these folks do, um, but I don't think it should be uh, where there's potential violence mm-hmm. or physical harm of patients uh, or workers trying to access their place of work. Uh, I mean, you know, the hospital clinics was, uh, it just seems totally illogical that, uh, you know, I would stand there as a protester and try to stop somebody from doing their job to save a life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure what the, what the, what the logic is to them. I don't think so, anybody again, was able to figure that one. a free space, a public space uh, where nobody is being harmed. Um, I think, you know, if you feel that strongly about expressing your opinion, do it there, please. Dr. J, why do you think, I mean, you're right in the midst of it. You've got the insider's perspective. Why do you think these protesters are so angry with the medical profession? I, I honestly, I've thought about this issue a lot. I, I, I'm not sure if, uh, if this um, is a feeling that somehow... Uh, there's uh, misinformation and that we are not presenting the truth. We are not on the side of truth. We are on the side of, of falsehood somehow. 
and that we're trying to somehow, um, uh, I don't know, fool the public in some way, uh, which is really, really not true. Again, whether this is fueled by social media uh, or just, uh, you know, a huge campaign of, of fallacy and, and, and misinformation. But, uh, boy, when it starts to uh, affect people where, where they feel unsafe going to work or unsafe at the workplace or unsafe taking their kid for a vaccine, I think we've crossed the line that, that shouldn't be crossed. Very interesting and uh, times uh, scary when it comes to mm-hmm. these uh, people working in the fields and, like you say, parents trying to get their kids vaxxed. Thanks for your time, Dr. Jablonski. We appreciate it. You betcha. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. With trade tensions high between Canada and the United States, how can Canada address American protectionism? With some details, we're joined this morning by Noah Fry, PhD student of political science at McMaster University. Good morning to you, Noah. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you. Hey, can you first maybe define what exactly is American protectionism? What does that mean? Well, American protectionism is the active, particularly in this case, the active attempt to prioritize domestic industries over a larger concern for the development of the global economy, and in that sense, uh, global prosperity. So in this particular instance, American protectionism is being very salient through the electric vehicle subsidies, in which there is particular contingencies for American-produced vehicles uh, in favor of American produced vehicles instead of Canadian vehicles. You know, in this case, Noah, we're talking about electric vehicles, but would we, can we not assume that protectionism has happened, you know, for, for generations and that we have our own brand of protectionism to a certain extent here in Canada? Isn't it nature to protect what's yours when you, you're within a country, a sovereign nation? It is nature to protect what's yours. I think there are, are different philosophies in how you do that. So one philosophy is that you promote what is the most competitive price level for vehicles. In that sense, the long-term solution or long-term view is that it would be to the advantage of everybody, including consumers, to have cheaper vehicles. When you subsidize American industries in the way they are producing it or the way they are going about it, the concern is that it would undermine the ability for that competition to take place uh, in the marketplace, which could, in the long term, mean higher cost for vehicles. So in order not to harm Canada, what ultimately, you know, if, if we could make the decision on our own, what, what would we have the U.S. do specifically? Well, I think what we would have the U.S. do is look at what we're doing here in Canada in terms of our electric vehicle incentive program. So it's one thing to subsidize electric vehicles. It's quite another to specifically uh, prioritize American vehicles over Canadian. So I think the ideal case for Canada would be to drop the uh, condition with regard to American vehicles being produced by uh, American workers, unionized workers specifically. How likely is it, Noah, that we'll uh, see an exemption to Canada from their Build Back Better legislation that's going on in the States? Are we going to get some kind of a, an agreement here with our greatest trading partner? And, you know, I wouldn't hold out hope for it. I mean, I think the Trudeau government is optimistic uh, in lobbying the Americans. It is possible that the provision would uh, go by the, would be removed within the Senate for different reasons, particularly concerns around the unionization front. Um, but I don't think if they do do that, it won't be because uh, the closeness that the United States has with Canada. But again, I don't think it's particularly likely 
uh, the Biden administration very much needs a win here, and I think this is one of them. You know, we're talking about wins, and I remember, uh, you know, Canadians of a certain age, obviously, and you don't have to be that uh, that old to remember NAFTA, and then much, uh, you know, uh, I guess fanfare around the USMCA. Mm-hmm. What does it matter with these trade agreements when we have this impression, I think maybe as a layperson, that, you know, the goods are going to be flowing, everything will be an equal playing field, and we'll, we'll all band together with the three complete different nations, North, South, East, and West, coming together, well, more so North and South. Um, does it really matter if we have a trade agreement, if things like this go on? Well, it certainly undermines its underlying principle, which is to have liberalized exchange. Now, to be sure, at no point uh, in this new era of continental agreements has trade been completely tariff-free. We've always had certain barriers for sovereignty protection. In Canada's case, we continue to uh, subsidize the dairy industry, and we continue to protect it from uh, trade agreements. So there's always a balancing act. I think what trade agreements do is that they attempt to act establish a pattern in terms of what this would look like. So there's more certainty over how provisions are structured within governments so that you know, governments aren't caught offside here and there. And this is probably an instance where a trade agreement has not facilitated what we call a rules-based order where we have some sort of certainty as to what to expect from uh, alternative or uh, other governments and how they structure their uh, incentive structures. Very interesting. And also, just before we let you go, Noah, can we see any any sort of protectionism like this in other, I guess you'd say, uh, blocks of nations? Does this sort of thing happen in Europe or in Asia, or is this a North America uh, phenomenon? I mean, it's certainly not unique to uh, uh, North America. There are protectionist measures across the world, but it's really the new move towards protectionism is being pushed by the United States, which is a bit ironic historically when the United States was the one pushing economic liberalization, reduction of tariffs, and reduction of state interventions. Uh, this new era is being pushed by the United States across you know, party lines, both Democrats and Republicans. Interesting discussion. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Noah. Appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. Noah Fry, PhD student of political science at McMaster University. And, I mean, you can see why countries have protectionist yeah. rules. I, I mean, you know, you want to protect what's yours. You want your industries to do well and at the expense, I guess, sometimes of others. But to me, it's, you know, here we go. There's the new shiny USMCA, and we're going to just truck <laughs> yeah. along, support one another, give deals, and strengthen numbers. Mexico, the U.S., and Canada. Oh, stop it. Well, with the exception of... Uh, softwood lumber, with the exception of vehicles, uh, electric hey, let's vehicles, talk dairy. Yeah. Let's, and I mean, I know that economists will get up there and say, hey, Andrew, this has to be. No, it's, it's just this idea that you, you think that, you know, borders would be open. Let's all bolster each other, but not quite. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter what government is in power. These things seem to happen, whether or not we have the, you know, uh, progressive conservatives, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or the liberals. No one can really fix it. It's the nature, and I guess we'll see what happens. But, you know, he doesn't seem all that optimistic. Not so much. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, kind of new, uh, interesting concept. It's Well, it's not new at all. In fact, it's a trail that we were supposed to have across the country. 
the Cross Canada Trail, they called yeah, it, absolutely. because it was supposed to run for more than 27,000 kilometers coast to coast, but uh, portions of that system still unfinished or just simply not accessible. And that includes sections from Calgary through to Cochrane and then Cochrane through to Canmore. So the Rotary Club of, of Cochrane is actually trying to change that. They've created the Trail Project, and the first stage is to get Alberta residents organized and on board businesses, communities all together to collaborate and create that portion of the Trans-Canada Trail between Calgary and Cochrane. Ultimately, having a trail that would lead from the city of Calgary to the town of Banff that you could walk or ride yeah. whenever your little heart desired, right right through, end to end. Well, and it's interesting because I, th- I thought we'd be done, you know, when you're hearing about this. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't have a lot of geographical challenges, I would think. And we're told that the trail from Cochrane to Calgary, about 38 kilometers in total, much of it's already there but not fully connected yet. So it sounds like some bits and pieces. Can you even imagine? Like, I mean, I can imagine on bike, a lot of these cyclists can really zip along. <laughs> be but a long said, walk. Yeah, I was going to say, people say, hey, take a hike, Sue. You can <laughs> now you'd be able to hike to Banff from Calgary. Um, you know, and I guess weather dependent, but I can see Neat a lot concept. of... concept. And I can see a lot of charities, Yep. you know, getting on board with this thing. This is going to be our walk. We've got the path. You're off the road now. There are big chunks of it that you can access throughout the country, you know, if you are crossing the country either, you know, to the west or to the east. But but some of it, like, it's so sort of off the beaten path that you wouldn't even expect that there would be a path there. And but, why would you even look for it? But like I said, not here. You, you would be pretty... Uh uh, we have to publicize it, but we have to get things complete, apparently. You don't want to, yeah. hey, there's 10 well, kilometers that I'll be on my own. <laughs> finishing a big project that, like this is, you know, kind of important. I would think so. Last week, the House of Commons unanimously agreed to pass Bill C-4, the legislation to ban conversion therapy in Canada. That bill now waits to be passed by the Senate. With details on the impact the bill will have, we're joined this morning by a survivor of conversion therapy, Ben Rogers. Good morning, Ben. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. First, for those who, who may not really truly understand what it is, can you explain what is conversion therapy? So... First thing I want to say is that we have to make a little correction there. It, we need to start calling it what it is. It's conversion therapy practices or conversion traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, because to call it conversion therapy is a falsity right there in and of itself. Because there is no therapeutic, there's no healing, there's no nothing. Um, so what it is, is conversion practices are meant to change someone's core being. Um, so turning someone from gay to straight or... Um, from non-cisgender to cisgender, um, trying to change someone's sexuality, their gender, their gender identity, um, from what it is to what, um, I guess you could say, societal norms were for a while there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I use quotation air quotes for that one, but you can't see that. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk then, because you have experience in this realm, Ben. So tell us about con- the conversion practice and how it impacted you and, and your journey. Um, well, myself, I was 19 when I actually went through conversion practice um, at a church called Third Day Worship in Kingston, Ontario, actually. Um, I was basically put through a process of pray away the gay. Um, and it all sounds very cliche, very small, but when you actually go through it, it's extremely momentous. Um, Imagine having all of your core beliefs, all of who you are, and you're told that it's wrong. 
and you're told that you are broken, that you are, you know, demonic. That's literally what I was told, is that I had demons in me, and that the Church could cure me. Um, That the only way that I could be normal and with my family again was to be straight. So do you you think, Ben, is it... Is it a stretch to say that this new legislation will truly save lives? Not in the least. It's going to save lives. Um, the works that I'm doing, uh, particularly around CT practices and the survivors of CT practices, I decided to start the first ever support group for survivors uh, about five months ago, um, which is done online. It's called CT Survivors Connect. And what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to bridge that lack of community, that lack of support that survivors currently, you know, we don't have any of it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to build those connections and those supports so that survivors actually have a place to find each other and to, you know, start building again off of the loss that we were given. I'm wondering, Ben, you know, as with anything, when the government gets involved, they can, you know, put the the word ban on a conversion uh, practice. Do you think that this will be the end of it? Or do you think we, we may see underground uh, practice of, of such things in our country? Unfortunately, to be 100% honest, I don't think this is the end. Um, this has been an underground movement for a very long time. Um, if you look at churches particularly, a lot of it, Conversion therapy isn't even a word that's generally used. Um, It's done very secretively. It's done very insidiously, and it's dangerous Mm -hmm. in every sense of the word. And that's why I truly believe that not just the country, but the provinces, territories, and each one of the municipalities have to step up and also, you know, take charge and be like, yeah, we need to stop this at every level. I've got to say, Ben, I, I was proud of the politicians of, of all stripes that came together to push this forward. So let's hope it passes and let's hope that uh, with you know folks like you doing the work that you're doing, that uh, we see an end to this at some point in time very soon. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. And honestly, I just want to tell anyone that's out there, there is hope and you have the capability to be every bit of who you are. We are the rainbow and let's, let's shine bright. Here, here. Thanks, Ben. Ben Rogers, survivor of conversion therapy practice. Three in 10 Canadians plan to make New Year's resolutions and improving personal fitness and nutrition is the most popular resolution. But how can you set realistic and achievable goals? On this edition of Motivational Monday, we're getting some help early to sticking with our fitness plans for the new year. Joining us this morning is Travis McTeer, Director of Research and Analytics with Good Life Fitness. Good morning to you, Travis. Good morning. Uh, First out the gate here, Travis, uh, we had that stat at the beginning here. Why do fitness-based resolutions rarely succeed? Well, I think as with most resolutions, what happens is people run into obstacles. And when you're focusing on a destination, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds, for example, and you hit those obstacles, it often will feel like you're just never going to get there. And and we really do see a lot of that when we look at our, our members. Um, you know, they start off really gung-ho and, and then they run into some sort of a hiccup in their schedule or in their life. And, and then they start feeling like they're just never going to get there and they give up. Mm. 
very much human nature, I think, to to create this great big goal. And then when we get a little hiccup, then we just throw up our hands and say, oh, it's too hard. I can't do it. So is that maybe the, the thing that we need to look at more, Travis, is, you know, setting an achievable fitness goal or steps to getting to the goal ultimately? Yeah, I, I think the best way to think about it, and it's certainly not a new idea, is just to focus on the journey rather than the destination. So, you know, when you're when you're focused on that destination and you hit those hiccups, it, it sometimes feels like, you know, the destination is just getting further and further away. Whereas if you're using, you know, an approach where you're looking at the journey, you can always look backwards and say, hey, I made some progress today compared to where I was yesterday. Um, and being able to, to look backwards and, and see that progress, you know, that even when you hit those hiccups, that's still there. No one takes that away from you. And, and so that's very motivating. Uh, and I think that's, that's the way to, to really set goals that, um, that will be motivating for you and that you'll be able to hit. You know, Travis, I've heard uh, somewhere along the line that 21 days or at least three weeks is how long it takes to form a habit. And uh, experience in my world would, uh, you know, basically back that up. Uh, somebody who used to go to the gym very regularly, that first three weeks or a month in January, super busy at the gym, and then there's nobody there. Mm. Uh, can we really put a day amount or a week amount on how long it takes to build a successful habit? Um, well, certainly researchers have looked into this pretty carefully, but I think the trouble with habits is that, again, you hit those hiccups and suddenly your your habit falls apart because your habit's based on you know having a certain structure in your life. And when that structure changes because you get a new job or a promotion or you know you you slip on the ice and you hurt your back, suddenly all of those things that your habit is based around have changed and the habit falls apart. And so I think that's that's as much what you're seeing is that lots of people develop a habit, but then. Uh, things change, and and suddenly those habits don't, you know, they don't guarantee that you're going to go to the gym anymore. I know you've talked about something that you refer to as mindful mastery goals. What exactly is that? Mindfulness is, is being kind of aware of the present, right? And you're thinking about what am I doing today? What did I do yesterday? What am I doing tomorrow? Rather than thinking about those long-term goals. And so being, you know, being mindful when you're setting your goals is, set goals that you know are are really focused on progress what you know how can i get better today than i was yesterday so you know maybe yesterday i did 10 push-ups today i'm going to do 11 tomorrow i'm going to try for 12 um and by by thinking about you know things in terms of just growth um you know like we said before the, those hiccups aren't going to have that really you know devastating impact on you when you know tomorrow maybe i can't do 12 but i can try again for 12 the next day how powerful is the accountability factor when I'm thinking, you know, perhaps a personal trainer that's going to be there with you or inviting a buddy to work out with you? Is that important? It absolutely helps. There's lots of research showing that, that having, whether it's, you know, the same person that you work out with every day or a personal trainer or even just somebody that you call at the end of the day and say, hey, I did it again today. You know, it could just it could be a friend on the other side of the country. Just having someone to to tell them that you've, that you've been successful today really does make a difference with motivation. Obviously, you're with Good Life Fitness, Travis, so the body is key with you and the people that you work with. But clearly for you, mind plays a big role in it as well, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So much of living a healthy lifestyle is you know, having that motivation and, and that desire 
to be healthy. And I think that's one of the things that we see is people, uh, they come to the gym and they think, I'm going to be exactly the same person I am today, but I'm going to do all of this stuff that doesn't come naturally to me. And I'm going to work out at the gym three times a week, even though I really don't want to. And uh, and I, I've always felt that you know a much better approach is to think about people who do go to the gym three times a week. What what do they what do they know or what do they feel that's different than what you feel? And go learn how to know those things or to feel those things so that going to the gym isn't a struggle. It's not you know this this big challenge that you have to you know be up for every day. It's just something that comes naturally. Great tips and uh, super timely as we get closer and closer to the new year. Thanks so much for your time, Travis. Oh, you're very welcome. That is Travis McTeer, Director of Research and Analytics with Good Life Fitness. Do you have a gym membership still? I know you had one at the beginning of COVID. Does it still exist? Yes, it does. And it was uh, at the beginning of COVID, I, I did. And then uh, I had a bit of a blip because my gym shut down for good. Yeah. I just kaput. Found another gym. And I don't go there as often as I should because I do some personal training as well. You and I, I both with Sandra, one-on-one yeah, yeah, one yeah. personal fitness. So, I mean, I, I, I get that. Yeah. And as you know, and I know that you do a ton of hiking. Yep. And, as you know, so supplementing. But I see, um, and I have seen in the past, so many people, you know, yeah, come January. And it is crazy. Everybody goes gung-ho. Who are these people? If and you, then. If you, yeah. If you go regularly, there's a whole bunch of new faces. And you got to feel like these are businesses and they've got personal trainers and they've got staff working the desk. They're a business. They got to keep them afloat. So I'm sure they don't mind if people don't show up. Yeah. But you really have to think about it. And maybe for some people, it's the hey, if I'm paying, and a cheap gym is probably 30 bucks a month, uh, 30, 60, 80, 100 bucks a month. Maybe if I do that, I have to go. But and then like you, you start said, out going and then you don't. My thing is, because you're right, I, I like love to hike. I like yeah, to be outside. Like to be outside. I, I feel like I can get a great workout and I do just as many exercises outside as I can do inside. Yeah. But now with winter, this is when I kind of feel like now I'm hooked. I get that. Now I need to join a gym because I need to find a place to do my exercising. Well, I would suggest, and like Travis said, like you're going full, you're going from zero to, to 90 in, in one second with that gym membership and the new lifestyle. I would suggest a lot of these places... And in particular, I would say city-run facilities and some of the leisure centers, if you will, offer up punch cards. So you can buy mm. a 10-pass visit yeah, yeah. and ease yourself in. Because I would suggest if you've never really been and you go 10 times in one month, that's quite a bit. That is quite a bit. You know, but if you end up going five or six, you know, you still haven't you know, laid down the money for a full year yeah, pass. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. If you find yourself going once in that month, maybe reconsider that gym membership. Do you think many more gyms are doing that now because of COVID or or just some do it because they just always have done it? I would think the real rah-rah, sis-boom-bah gyms where you see people working out with weights and, and have a ton of classes, they probably don't because they want to get you in. Yeah. But I do know. On a monthly membership. Yeah. I'm just going to drop the, the name of the one I do know, which is like Trico, which is by my house. Yeah. They certainly have a, a punch card because I've used it for my kids. Yeah. I had the full membership. They weren't going. And I said, well, if I get a 10 punch card and you use it, then we'll, then we'll gauge. If, if, if I'm having to refill this mm-hmm. card in two or three weeks, we'll have to get a membership again. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.